Across the country, companies are struggling to retain employees as turnover rates climb in every industry. While compensation can certainly be a factor, the top reasons employees cite for leaving have to do with culture and feeling undervalued. We're experiencing the highest level of quits in 2021 since the Bureau began tracking data back in 2000. Since March, three to four million Americans a month are quitting their jobs. That's just a sobering number. When you think of that kind of turnover and as, as you know, someone leading a business, I, I know the, the pain and the challenge that turnover, especially turnover of key team members can bring. In today's episode, I sit down with Gunnar Avanellis, CEO of AgriCare, to discuss a major step they have taken as a company to help drive their long-term success and a self-leadership culture of their employees by establishing an employee stock ownership plan. This copyrighted podcast is presented by the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council. The opinions and views shared by those of non-paid guests on the business of blueberries are those of our guests and do not represent the views, positions, or policies of the USHBC. The blueberry industry is like no other, passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the management, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. Well, welcome back to another episode of The Business of Blueberries, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to the blueberry industry. Attracting and retaining capable employees is a big challenge for all of agriculture, and blueberries are no exception. Our guest today is leading an effort to transition his blueberry farming operation from a founder-driven business to an employee-owned enterprise. You'll hear what all is involved in this change and what it's done for the engagement and the morale of his employees. Joining me today is Gunnar Avanellis, CEO of AgriCare. Many of you know that AgriCare was started as a California-based farm management company by Gunnar's parents, Tom and Karen Avanellis. And you may recall hearing from Tom last year, way back in episode nine of this podcast. Today, the company oversees farming operations in California and Oregon. That includes blueberries, citrus, and hazelnuts. Gunnar, thanks for joining me today on the business of blueberries. Yeah, thanks, Casey. Great to be with you today. Well, let's start with a little bit of background. I know you grew up in the industry. Did you always know that this kind of farming agriculture thing was going to be where you'd spend your career? The short answer is no. You know, with my parents building a farm management business during my youth, I had a lot of exposure to production agriculture and was able to try my hand a number of different tasks and jobs growing up. And I wasn't always great at all of them. When I left for college, I pursued a business degree and ended up really enjoying all my marketing classes and wound up with a specialization in marketing, mainly just because of what I saw in the areas of communication, strategy, casting, vision that, that really caught my interest more than anything else. And my parents didn't plan on for either my sister or I to pull us back in the family business for at least five years after college. That was a philosophy they had, have your kids go do something else, gain experience elsewhere. And then if the timing's right, if the, we'll say, capacity and competency is right, then pull them back in. And so for five years after college, I worked for a nonprofit in Southern California. I did a lot of different tasks from marketing, fundraising, project management. And in 2012, my parents asked my wife and I to consider rejoining the family business and to relocate back to the San Joaquin Valley. And after a lot of time and consideration, we saw a lot of factors confirmed it was the right time and made the move. And so in 2012, started back with AgriCare. And at that time, was working mainly on initiatives related to business development, 
and sustainability, which was becoming more of a buzzword and hot topic in the ag industry at that time. But uh, pretty quickly after I rejoined the companies, was pulled into a new venture we were looking at doing that involved CPG products and value-added food items kind of outside of typical production agriculture and did that for a few years until 2015 when my efforts were refocused back on agri-care. And uh, not long later in fall 2016, I was asked to take on the CEO role as my father, who's ever the entrepreneur. Uh, if you've been around him very much, you know that to be true. He was focused full-time then on agriculture capital, which was a new venture he had started. Yeah. Well, and for those of our audience that may not remember the episode we did with your dad, maybe you can share a little bit about AgriCare. And as you do, I, I will you know, remind this audience, if I haven't said it already, that it was Gunner's session in our fall 2020 conference that was our most popular. And so you can learn a lot about AgriCare and we'll post this in the show notes. But for today, maybe you could give us a, kind of a, a little bit of background on AgriCare. Sure. Agricare is essentially a management services business. We're focused on production agriculture in California, San Joaquin Valley, and Oregon's Willamette Valley. The scope of what we do includes day-to-day farm operations, harvest management, agronomy, accounting, food safety, employee safety, and just general compliance. In that sense, kind of a full service management business that can work with a variety of different types of landowners or clients or growers. We currently service about 26 different client accounts, ranging from 10 acres up to a few thousand acres in scale. And we provide both organic and conventional farming services. And we service a number of crop types cases you mentioned from blueberries to citrus, table grapes, and a variety of nut crops, hazelnuts, almonds, pistachios. So we're a pretty diverse operation. We currently manage roughly 72 different properties that covers about 12,000 acres between both states. And our agronomy division services about 17,000 acres in total, as we also have some third-party agronomy accounts that just hire us in for the, the PCA, the nutrition, kind of that work itself. So our largest footprint is blueberries. We're currently managing roughly 4,000 acres of blues between both states, majority being organic or in transition to organic. So one of the real, I'd say, center points of our focus has been scaling organic production systems. And from a people standpoint, we're at roughly 250 full-time employees, and that's a wide variety of jobs in our company, from operations managers to farm supervisors, field technicians, pest control advisors, staff accountants, you name it. We, we've got a pretty diverse employee group as well. Yeah. And so of that 4,000, I mean, you're covering a lot of ground across crops, but of that 4,000 acres, you know, what percentage of that is your portfolio? What percentage is blueberries? A little over a third of our portfolio was blueberries. Well, and, and I understand that in 2013, AgriCare merged ownership with John and Cindy France at Homegrown Organics. So maybe you could talk a little bit how this kind of paved the way for what is now becoming this employee-owned enterprise. Yeah. So for many years prior to 2013, my parents, Tom and Karen Avanellis, have worked closely with John and Cindy France, who were founders of Homegrown Organic Farms, which is a sales and marketing company focused on organic produce. And our families had a variety of partnerships together and just found a lot of like-mindedness in terms of how we wanted to operate a view of sustainable agriculture, the value of organic within the agricultural space, and uh, also being kind of close to each other in the San Joaquin Valley. And in 2013, attorneys working for both of our companies at the time got us together and said, you know, you've all been dating for a while. Why don't you get married? Why don't you officially merge the ownership of your companies? Because you're both in the agricultural community, you operate kind of in various aspects of that with homegrown being sales and marketing focused, AgriCare being production focused, and they thought there could be a lot of strength and synergy between the two if we merged the ownership and kind of forever entwined our working together. So that's what we did in 2013. 
We formed a company called AgriVision, which is in a sense just a stockholding entity of which the ownership would wrap up together of the two companies, which now also includes a partial ownership piece and a blueberry packing entity and a, and a cold storage facility. But it took all of the, the assets owned by the two companies and wrapped them up into one. And really, the desire was to create a better synergy in the long term, to use the collective strengths, understanding the marketplace, understanding the field side, and how could we really create a venture and opportunity that could get high quality, fresh produce to the consumer in a way that really satisfied what they're looking for and was profitable for the farms and employed a lot of folks in between and and a group of companies that were family friendly and caring about people and communities along the way. Well, it's interesting uh, you talk about the scalability of bringing all those assets together. And then you think about the role that AgriCare plays across all those many farms that you guys are managing. But then I think that kind of segues into kind of talking about the structure that you're moving towards, which is this employee ownership structure. But let's get some background on this first, because I think there's something that you're doing here that plays into all this. What circumstances led to this being the right move for AgriCare? So for a few years prior to 2021, the founding families, the ownership families, the, the France and, and Avanellis families, we, we've been talking with our board of directors about what we can do to not just preserve the culture of our businesses, but to build businesses that will grow beyond the strengths and abilities of just the founders. I think often in family-owned businesses, we hit constraints at times by what skill do we have? What uh, capacity do we as founding families have? And how can we both empower and unlock the potential of key team members who aren't from the family, but would love to make a career with us to grow beyond ourselves, in a sense. And that conversation was ongoing for quite a while and led us to really acknowledge the reality that we're blessed with many longtime team members who not only adhere to the culture and have not only contributed to the business, but have really helped build the culture and have dreams and visions far into the future and ideas that we don't want to lose. And so as we looked at what could we could do to really retain and reward these employees, that's where the idea of creating an employee stock ownership plan came from. That's when it came to the forefront and our board of directors and, and founding families unanimously chose to go that direction after a lot of prayerful consideration, just looking at the future, how we not only preserve a legacy, but really build a new legacy and build companies that last far beyond what our families could be and do, because we currently, between the two companies, have almost 300 individual families represented and touched by what our companies are doing. And we take that really seriously. And we want what we're doing to last for a long time and to grow with new ideas. And so that was kind of the genesis of the idea of founding an ESOP, an employee stock ownership plan. And the timing was also really good because we're in a tough time as an employer and not just speaking as, as agri-care or homegrown, but just generally as employers, 2021 in our nation is the year of the great resignation. I looked at some numbers recently by the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and they shared some data that we're experiencing the highest level of quits in 2021 since the Bureau began tracking data back in 2000. Since March, three to four million Americans a month are quitting their jobs. That's just a sobering number when you think of that kind of turnover. And as as you know, someone leading a business, I, I know the the pain and the challenge that turnover, especially turnover of key team members can bring because of how hard it is to replace that kind of legacy knowledge and that experience and the disruption. And so we really have tried to take that to heart and believe that never has hearing what's important to our employees and creating a better work environment been more essential than it is now. And for many companies, we have to look at doing more than just paying people more. 
because that's not always an option in lean times or challenging times. As we talked about a few minutes ago, where, where margins kind of get leaner for farms, that means that we have to be really cognizant of increasing costs to our farms. And so just paying people more, increasing the labor expense, when that's not an option or, or even the best option, we have to be more creative and more intentional. And I thought it was interesting with some data I read recently, the top two reasons people are leaving their jobs this year is one, they don't feel valued by their company, or two, they lack a sense of belonging. Compensation was shown to be important, but much further down the list. And so for us, we felt like this timing of creating employee ownership, really giving our team members a stake in what's been built and what's going to be built as a way to not just keep them with us, but also kind of just unlock their thinking about what else can we do to build? Because the value of the stock they're receiving as owners of the company, it grows as the value of our companies grow. And as they begin to realize that, the thought process, the conversations have been really interesting, really meaningful. Well, this is super interesting. And I've got more questions about how this works and what it's going to mean for you and AgriCare. But before we get into that, let's take a quick break for our crop report. The harvest in South America is well underway, and we've been receiving our weekly updates from our colleagues there. So here, once again, is your blueberry crop report. It's time for your Blueberry Crop Report, an update on crop conditions and markets from important blueberry growing areas. Today, you'll hear from Luis Vegas in Peru. This was recorded on December 15th, 2021. Hello, this is Luis with the crop report from Peru up until the end of week 49, which is the week ending on December 12th. So up until the end of week 49, Peru has shipped a total of 420 million pounds of fresh blueberries worldwide, representing a growth of 31% in volume versus the previous season. From this overall volume, 54% has been shipped to the US. During week 49, a total of 5.8 million pounds were shipped. 51% of this volume was shipped to the US accounting for 3 million pounds, which are expected to arrive the U.S. market during late December and the first week of January. Uh, our latest forecast for, for the season that it's all already wrapping up, uh, we're expecting a growth of 32% in the volume ship worldwide compared to the last season. And regarding the different destinations, we're expecting to grow in volume sent to the U.S. by 37%. And finally, from the overall volume shipped this season, we expect that 8% uh, will be shipped organic. Thank you. Well, thanks so much to our busy colleagues who take the time to participate in these reports. As a reminder, you can go to the new USHBC website where you'll find our Data and Insight Center to see more data of what's happening in the blueberry industry. We've made that snapshot view of the USDA data on production and price, an online resource for everyone to access easily and quickly. Make sure you go to ushbc.org forward slash data to check that out. So now let's get back to our featured conversation with Gunnar Avanellis. So Gunnar, before the break, you told us what led to the decision of employee ownership. Now let's get into a little bit of what it took to make it happen. What were the first steps you had to take when you decided it was time to establish this employee stock ownership plan? Yeah. So one of the first things we had to do was hire a trustee to basically be engaged on behalf of the employees. Because what was created here, in, in, in essence, was a, a transaction between the employees of the company 
and the founding families. And we wanted to make sure there was a really good outside oversight so that everything could be above board. And so there's, there's kind of a legal process that goes along with creating this transaction, you know, establishing kind of a value of the companies that would in a sense tie to what our businesses will be paying out over time to the founding families to buy the equity of the companies fully into this employee stock ownership plan. So there's the legalities of it. There's the financial piece of it. And then there's the communication side of beginning to talk with employees about what are we doing and uh, what are we hoping to accomplish and what does it mean for them? And so the reaction has been great from our employees. A lot of questions, as you can imagine, as to, okay, what does this mean for me now to be an employee owner? Do I have to pay anything? And in our case, the answer is no. This is purely a gift to employees. In a sense, the formation of an employee stock ownership plan, the way we've done it is creating an extra retirement plan for employees where based on their time of service and their compensation as a percent of the overall compensation, they're given or allocated stock on a yearly basis into what almost looks like another 401k type of plan for them, that they can see the value of it. They can see it grow over time, but they're not taxed on it. Nothing's coming out of their check for it. It's purely a gift. And that was our desire really to enhance the retirement, enhance the ability to transition the value of our companies to our employees so that at hopefully some long future date when they decide to retire or leave the companies, they begin to receive payouts toward their stock and see yeah, a boosted retirement and in a sense kind of generational wealth within their own family created through their association and time with our companies. Well, and, and maybe remind our audience again, when this began to be implemented, and then maybe you can talk about just what has been the sense of this transition overall. Yeah, so we established this plan and put it fully in place in May of this year, May of 2021. So it's very, very recent, you know, so recent to the point that we're still in that first year prior to the first real allocations going out. So for a lot of our employees, they may still feel as if there's more questions than answers right now as to what does this really mean for me? There's been a lot of excitement as employees are now getting more insight into the inner workings of the company. That's been a big piece of trying to make this successful. And we've been advised on is to help more employees understand the vision, direction, and kind of framework for how the company operates, how the company makes money, how the company spends money, so that they as stakeholders, while not having a controlling interest, that's not what the ESOP means. It doesn't mean that every employee has a vote. In a sense, the employees are being gifted the value of the company but we still have a board of directors and executives that make the primary decisions. We do want employees to understand what makes the companies successful and where opportunities lie and what we dream about for the future. So you're an owner, but you don't necessarily have equal vote or the right to direct or maybe even cast vision for the company. But what does it mean for governance? Is there any part of the ESOP that creates a governance structure where the employees are involved at all? So that's part of the job of the trustee is to be looking out at decision-making general operations on behalf of the employees. We do have a desire for our employees to have a voice in what we're doing in the conditions of our workplace and the direction that we're going. But that gets really complicated if you try to tie ownership through an ESOP into, you know, giving, I would say, control more than just value. You know, part of our recognition of desire for employees to have a voice into their workplace is our move this year toward becoming EFI certified as a company through the Equitable Food Initiative. And process right now, 
but we're looking at being EFI certified wall-to-wall between both states in our entire operation, which is an initiative built around conditions for the employee, a voice for the employee, and social responsibility as a company. But within the ESOP, you know, we don't open the boardroom necessarily to employees in that way, but we are continuing to foster more and more management interaction with employees at all levels to gain that feedback. You know, one of the new initiatives for this next year is going to be more employee surveying and the idea of doing more stay interviews with employees. So in a one-to-one setting, a, a manager and a direct report sitting down to talk through questions of what do you enjoy the most? What do you enjoy the least? Are there skills that you have not being tapped into? Are there you know, aspects of your work environment that you think need to be changed or you'd like to be changed? Do you think that career-wise you see growth potential here? So we're working not necessarily through the ESOP, but really just through an aspect of wanting to continue to build our culture, allowing employees to speak into the direction that they're heading and going. And I say that, but a caveat is that I and Scott Mabs, the CEO of Homegrown, we are working very, very hard on getting employee input and getting employee visibility at all different levels to what we're doing, new opportunities for growth that we're going after. And a lot of that, because we need to tap into the potential of our teams even in a greater way to make a lot of these initiatives happen. So that may be kind of a, a long nuanced answer to, to the no, question. No, I, I was following it. I think others were too, but you know, as you're reaching for that kind of untapped potential, I know it's just been May, but have you got a sense of, you know, as you're describing it, I'm picturing like all of a sudden there's this based on the understanding of what it means for them, you know, an increased commitment. Again, it's been just May, but from your perspective, have there been examples where you've seen, you know, the the commitment change or the appreciation for what this would mean for an employee's future start to manifest itself? Yes, absolutely. You know, beyond a number of comments I've received back privately from employees just expressing gratitude and excitement, tangibly we've begun to see many more questions about where we spend money, how we can spend money more wisely. Because I've been really open with with our teams, our management teams in particular, about the nature of how businesses get valued. Because the questions have come up from the beginning, okay, so we're given this stock, how is the stock valued? What increases the value of my stock? So someday when I retire, that the repurchase obligation that occurs that kind of pays me out for my stock is at the highest level possible. And so in, in sharing with more employees, the bottom line of our business, that's profitability, is the greatest indicator of the the business's value, they're asking questions about, okay, where do we spend money? And how can we, you know, reduce wasteful spending? Or how can we, you know, reduce unnecessary overhead in areas? Or where can we pursue new opportunities for revenue? And this is coming from all different employees and different ideas. It could be a, you know, a manager of a special projects unit that says, wow, we completed this project. Can you help me see the profitability of this project? And I'll begin to think about in our area and scope, how we can do this again and how we can make it more profitable next time, or how we can build new business with this client. Those questions now aren't being driven top down. They're coming bottom up in a much more rapid fashion than I've ever seen with employees bringing ideas about new projects that, again, they're kind of open-handed saying, here's an idea, what do you think? So we can process together and I can try to help use my strengths and understanding kind of the business as a whole alongside their idea to look for new opportunities that otherwise would not have been on our radar. Well, that's exciting. And it could be a little overwhelming for you and others to, you know, see the the bottom up approach of being given that voice and like, hey, we want to hear from you and all those ideas flowing forward. I mean, it's exciting too, but I can imagine in a way 
sorting through everybody's best ideas, you know, a bit of an overwhelm for the management team to kind of be thinking through and considering and, but really exciting to hear. And as you think about people who may be listening to this episode, who are running other blueberry related farms, obviously our business of blueberry podcast here, but who do you think this approach might be a good fit for versus not a good fit? I mean, are there companies that you see in our industry today that you could imagine doing something very similar? I think the primary target for an employee ownership approach would be a business that is much less founder driven than employee driven with a founder or current owner who's looking for a way to make the transition and not lose the culture of what's been created. Employee ownership is not for every business and businesses at different life cycles have to consider that individually. But for a founder built business that's now employee driven with longtime team members who who run things day to day where the founder is much more hands off. I think that could be a candidate. And it really is a beautiful way to reward employees and empower employees and to give them a chance to to build something on their own with the framework of an established business. So I have a lot of really, really long time and key team members who have you know maybe thought about trying to start something on their own, but realize that there's there's challenges with that. Starting your own small business, especially in today's environment, is not always easy. But to be able to create a company where yeah, employees have additional stake, receive additional value, but don't have to go through all the, the pains of building something from the ground up can be a beautiful thing. Now, for anyone listening, I think a good takeaway about employee engagement is there to be had in terms of how we look at you know, caring for our employees, engaging our employees, giving them a voice into their work environment, helping them feel valued. It was really telling for me to look at research that had compensation way down on the list as to why employees are leaving their jobs. But to see their felt value, their perceived value by their organization being the number one reason they were staying or leaving was really insightful. And I think we can all learn from that, that our our team members, they want to sense that they're valued and that they belong and to have a voice and to feel heard, which at first I think can be hard to equate to the bottom line. If you're looking at a business, you're just trying to keep afloat. But at the end of the day, employees that are engaged are they're better contributors to the culture we're trying to create. They come in, I think, emotionally healthier to help address problems because especially in our industry right now, we are daily addressing issues and challenges. And I've talked with our team that my desire is that we come in not believing that we're going to be absent of challenges, but ready to face those challenges and solve problems and just be resilient. Because I think resilience is an undervalued quality right now. <laughs> yeah. And I think too, you've described a bit about the importance of communication all the way through the whole team and the way in which this sounds as another opportunity for there to be a way to communicate vision. Because that often can be a determiner for an employee who's thinking about leaving uh, because they're only hearing and they're only seeing a single paycheck or they're only hearing kind of the negativity of the marketplace and and they may not feel like they're ever going to be rewarded with whatever long-term opportunity could come from, you know, an industry like ours in the case of blueberries, a maturing industry which, you know, I, I've found in the time I've been here a need for describing what we haven't achieved yet because there is still so much opportunity out there for blueberries which, you know, often gets lost in this conversation about the sweet shrinking margins and the challenges. Yes, that's true, but when you consider that potential and the way that I think the employee ownership opportunity creates that conversation and the cast that long-term vision that increases the interest of retention of sticking through that messy middle 
why this is going to be worth it in the end, why we're making these decisions today that you'll be around for and benefiting from in the future. It's an interesting way of kind of connecting a much larger dot that typically ownership is just considering. No, definitely is. And you're right with, with what's in front of us. We need to keep our key people and we need to attract you know, new talent. You know, we, we need the very best of problem solving, of critical thinking, of new ideas, of you know, multiple generations and their thought processes together to help us address this because we do have, uh, I think, a tremendous you know, gift to give the world with blueberries. It's an amazing piece of fruit. Uh, we're finding every day how good it is for you. And you know, I can tell you with, with four kids of my own that uh, they love it. You know, fresh, crisp blueberries you know, off the plant. And we'd love to have more folks around our country and the world with that experience. Yeah. Well, I know, and I think I speak on behalf of everybody who attended, especially the in-person this last year, the opportunity to come visit you and your family there in Oregon while we were at the conference in Salem and just having you a part of that tour, so to speak, the tech tour. And then, of course, we had an opportunity to visit a couple of facilities for our Friday tour. But just an appreciation for you know your family's willingness to be open, obviously, your conversation today to be candid about the direction you're headed as a company and, and the way in which you see the future in what is a really trying time for employers. And you know, I hope for our audience, they took away some encouragement from you on how to best handle the long-term approach to what it's going to take in terms of building those cultures. A lot of self-leadership kind of coming from what you're describing in terms of employees being really engaged with the work and you know ways in which we can try to retain the talent that it's going to take to take us to that next level as Blueberry. So appreciate your time today, Gunnar. Really, I think everybody's going to appreciate today's episode. So thanks for joining us. Well, thanks, Casey, so much. Great to be with you today. Before I let you go, I want to take a quick break for our marketing boost, and then we'll come back to share some final thoughts. But for now, here's USHBC NABC Vice President of Marketing and Communications, Jennifer Sparks. Thanks, Casey. Let's talk technology. Alexa, add a blueberry boost for a recipe kids will eat. Alexa, ask a blueberry boost, what can I make with frozen blueberries? Alexa, ask a blueberry boost, what vitamins and minerals are in blueberries? As you know, Alexa is Amazon's voice-activated artificial intelligence service, and a skill is like an app. And guess what? USHBC has now added a skill that is specific to blueberries. That's right. Now, blueberry enthusiasts of all ages can get all the information they need by adding the new Alexa skill named a blueberry boost. The new skill delivers exactly what the name suggests ideas and inspiration for eating more blueberries in more ways throughout the day. But now that information won't come from Wikipedia, but directly USHBC with facts, ideas, and messages that resonate and leads users to USHBC's consumer website, blueberry.org. Check out the skill for yourself. Simply say to your Alexa device, Alexa, add the skill a blueberry boost. You'll then be ready to go. There are many different topics integrated into the skill, ranging from storage and shopping tips to how to pick blueberries. Most importantly, share this with your customers, social followers, and employees. We make it easy with an instruction sheet and attention-grabbing assets you can download. You can go to ushbc.org Alexa. Check it out. As this is the very first USHBC Alexa skill, there are many opportunities for us to learn more about consumer behavior and how Alexa can help us engage and motivate blueberry lovers. This has been your Marketing Boost. Thank you for your partnership as together we inspire the world to grab a boost of blue. Casey, back to you. 
Well, just a couple key takeaways as we close out here. For me, at least, I will be looking forward to seeing how this develops. I think with the rest of the audience who heard from Gunnar today on the direction of their company under this new employee-owned structure. It's going to be fascinating just to kind of see how these, you know, two family-friendly companies eventually merge to create one scalable company and then transition that to employee ownership. It was great to just kind of hear from Gunner the experience so far and the points at which they decided to make that decision and what why it was right for them at the time. But, you know, as he described, and you know, I think we'll put some of those that information that he was citing in the show notes for today, where we really are facing a challenge of retaining talent as a country, as companies, where we really have a responsibility to create you know, some self-leadership, some understanding of vision and some real pride in, in that ownership. Not everybody's going to be able to be employee owned, but I think a lot can be taken from the conversation today as it relates to the circumstances that I think we all face as owners and managers and leaders of our own company. Building that culture as an industry and as families are really important. And uh, I think that was the emphasis of today's episode of just the deliberate efforts it takes to make sure that that is put in place so that you can retain that kind of talent and ensure the legacy of your company, your family. And the only other thing I would say that you know really struck me is just the way in which Gunner's describing the not just the upward mobility, but of the participation in the company, but the idea of thoughts and ideas and ways in which they could either save or make money that kind of bottom-up approach that he was describing where employees feel empowered to bring their ideas to grow the business. And that's certainly something that, you know, we're focused on here at USHBC as well as an industry. You know, what are those next things that we could be doing as an industry together? And I think, you know, our most recent exercise of developing our strategic plan was an effort towards listening and really ensuring that everyone in our industry feels empowered to reach out and make those bigger connections on what more we can be doing to experience that next blue wave of innovation and success as a blueberry industry. Because again, there is a lot of runway left for blueberries and it's a very exciting time to be here despite some of the challenges, despite some of the circumstances. It really is a great industry and one that we should all feel excited and proud to be a part of. Well, that's it for episode 77. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, family, and hard work right here on the Business of Blueberries. 